it didn't happen in year one of our careers. We didn't graduate from college and then all of a sudden we're on these revolve trips. What is up, guys? Welcome back to season two of Girl Gaze Resilience Required. It's your host, Taylor. As we continue to navigate through these crazy times, I want to play a part in curing your Sunday scaries. Well, today we're curing Monday scaries because yesterday was Mother's Day and I was hanging out with the fam. So today you are meeting a panel of refreshingly relatable and inspirationally insightful girl gazers. You guys know that when I started Girl Gaze back in November, I invited those who I admired to come on. Now with this panel, I'm able to connect those I admire. And better yet, I can share our candid conversations with you. This week, I am so excited to introduce you to two amazing, hardworking women who are absolutely killing it in their careers. We're trying something new today with two guests instead of three so we can really dive into their career journeys and get a no BS career advice segment from both of them, which is insane and epic. The high points and the low points and everything in between. If you want to know what it takes to make it in your dream industry, keep on listening. So first we have Madison Utendahl, my mentor, my friend, my boss. Madison is the founder and CCO of her own content, digital storytelling, and social media creative agency called Utendahl Creative. She worked at Refinery29, was a founding partner of Museum of Ice Cream, and wait for it, received not one, but two Webby Awards. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) The way Madison and I met brings me all the way back to my very first episode of Girl Gaze, where I tell you guys about the five steps to landing your dream job. And one of them is sliding into the DMs. Yes, I literally slid into Madison's DMs to write a feature story on her in University Girl, the magazine I started back in college. Flash forward nearly a year and a half, Madison has left such a huge mark on my life and career, more than she probably knows. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Why don't you kick us off? Oh my God, I'm going to cry. (laughs) No. That is so sweet. I don't even, that's honestly one of the best intros I've, that was very well done. Not so Oh, thank you. Um, Taylor, you're a rock star. No, this is, this is super fun, especially because Chrissy's a dear friend of mine. So to be able to have this conversation with you is, is just a fun way to have a Friday. Um, As far as what else I can add to that bio, not much. I'm just a founder trying to make make shit happen and make shit work right now. So uh, that's really the only other thing I would add is that, you know, I'm just trying to get by with my team and we're figuring out and we're trying to make social media more enjoyable and uplifting and mindful place for people. Yes. Thank you. Next up, we have Chrissy Rutherford. You guys probably already follow her on Instagram, especially if you're into fashion and astrology. She literally made her way from intern to special projects director at Harper's Bazaar. Goals. (laughs) And now she's entering a new chapter in her career as a freelancer in the fashion world. Chrissy and I actually met through Madison. A little over a year ago, Madison connected us via email. And then I met you IRL at the Harper's Bazaar office. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'll start off with, I am a Pisces. I love astrology. (laughs) Um, But yeah, right now, well, I just completed an eight and a half year journey at Harper's Bazaar in February. So I've spent the last couple of months just kind of enjoying life and not 
putting like strain on myself to Mm -hmm. like figure out what is next because I think like especially considering what's going on right now it's so it's so easy to see how all of us are so obsessed with like achievement and so it's actually been really nice to just take that off the table right now and be like what would it be like if I just enjoyed my life as it is so that's where I'm at right now, but um, I'm usually creating some kind of silly home content right now on my Instagram. <laughs> Love it. So having you guys both on this podcast is literally blowing my mind right now. It just felt so right to me. And so my mind is going in all different directions, but let's start simple. Where are you both quarantining and how are you doing? Madison, want to start? Yes. Great question. I love the simplicity of questions like that. I often find that those are the ones that we so passively answer, but actually require more honest answers, right? Like they'll say, oh, we're fine. Yeah, good. But is that actually how we're all doing right now? I don't think so. But to your point, how I'm doing today, I- I'm good. Like, you know, I, I, my boyfriend and I have actually been separated for the past two months. And today I went and picked him up. He quarantined. Uh, so that, yeah, so I'm great. It feels great to be reunited with him. Um, as far as how I'm feeling otherwise, I'm tired. I think I haven't been sleeping well. And that's something that I think a lot of us creatives are experiencing right now is our wandering minds at night. And so today I feel, I feel that fatigue. Um, as far as where I'm quarantining, I'm quarantined actually for the most part in Woodstock, New York. As we speak, I'm back in my apartment in New York City, but I will be going back to Woodstock this weekend. My family and I got out of uh, got out of New York in March, um, and it looks like we will be in upstate through September. Yeah, it's really nice to escape the city and yeah. around nature for sure. Chrissy, what are you doing during this time to stay sane? First of all, I was in London and was planning to be in London until mid-April when all of this was going on. So I had to cut my trip short by about three and a half weeks, came home to New York City and was quarantined by myself in my apartment for the first five weeks. Luckily, my lease was up at the end of April, so I was able to move out of my apartment. And now I'm quarantining in Westchester County, New York, which is where I grew up. I'm in my childhood home with my parents, um, which I was feeling very anxious about coming into it. But it's actually been really nice for the most part. Like, of course, I'm still fighting with my parents every night. <laughs> Like before this started, my dad was like, why didn't you put all the food away from you? Like I was making lunch. I was like, I was trying to make lunch and eat before I had to do this. Um, uh, But yeah, but it's actually been really nice. And like, I don't miss the city at all, actually. Like, you know, where I live is like very, very suburban. There's trees everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, It's super quiet. And it's just so nice to be in a house again. And like, if it's nice out, I can go have my lunch in my backyard or, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's really nice. And I don't know when I'm going to go back to the city. I I don't think it will be until the fall. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I Same. totally feel that. I am now back home on Long Island where I grew up. And although I haven't lived full time in the city for that long, I moved back in September. It's yeah. still really weird to have a full house with my two younger siblings. Yeah. Dog. Like we haven't all been under the same roof. I know. Right? High school. 
Yeah. So, yeah. But I will agree with you, Chrissy, that being in a house and in my hometown where I can go on walks, I mean, I've never appreciated my backyard more. Yes. Right exactly. No, yeah. absolutely. It's it, Taylor, but to your point, you know, I'm quarantining with my sister and even in high school, we still did other things to other people. Like, I don't even know when we've ever spent this three months without seeing another so you know what I mean like even in our high school childhood lives like you still yeah. left to go to school or like you left to hung out hang out friends or you had people over like we are not separating at all from our families which is such a unique experience yeah. and it's going to have by nature just its total ebbs and flows for sure oh totally and and in addition to home life career life has also changed drastically. I was actually yeah. talking with a friend about this the other day. When I first started my career and entered a new position after graduation, I was so in the moment taking everything in. I wasn't necessarily thinking about how it would impact the rest of my career from the people I met, mm-hmm. skills I learned, opportunities I had. But now during this time, I'm really able to reflect and internalize that this is just the first chapter in mm-hmm. my post-grad journey. Madison, if there's one thing that you've ingrained in my mind, it's to trust the timing in my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with COVID, a lot of people are experiencing layoffs, furloughs. A lot of my audience is in college. So we're talking canceled internships, challenges mm-hmm. with landing a job. I mean, it's hard to wrap your brain around that. I'm curious, Madison, why did you develop that mentality to trust the timing in your life, especially when it comes to your career? I guess because my career has taken such an unconventional path. I mean, even when Chrissy and I met, I was at Refinery29, like working in the beauty space. And now I have my own social media content agency. Like, you know, my career has just like complete, I went from being a video producer and beauty and a video host, and you know, going, actually getting invited to fashion shows at the time, because that was, that was the career that I was in. And now it's like, inbox empty when New York Fashion Week comes around. (laughs) But what I mean by that is that, you know, Every single career step I've taken, I've tried to lead with deep emotion what was making me happy, not just sort of what society said that I should have been doing. And so when I graduated from college, I started in the film and TV space, working as a production assistant. And I realized that that wasn't bringing me the joy that I thought it would because I studied film in college and thought I wanted to eventually be a director and screenwriter. But I will say the through line between every step of my career has remained the same and that I'm a storyteller and everything I've done is still tied to storytelling. But how it's looked has yeah. pivoted drastically. You know, like I'm extremely lactose intolerant. If you would have told me I would like win two Webby Awards as head of social for a, a museum dedicated to ice cream when I was like a production assistant at last week's night with John Oliver and like talking to you know, New York Times journalist, I would have been like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like I would have never, ever, ever made that connection. So um, I guess that's the only kind of thing that keeps me sane is to just trust that. And like, whether it's like you believe in astrology or the universe, or if you're religious in any capacity, just having this sense of like faith and optimism that there is a path and there's some timing of your life that is being laid out for you. And you just have to lean into it and go with it and just trust and have hope that like everything will work itself out. A belief in something bigger than us. Yes, absolutely. Who has your back, right? Like that inherent trust of like, I'm being put through this for a reason that someday will make sense for me. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. 
When people think about someone's career, they usually think about where that person is now. But I want to strip back the layers to show everyone that the hustle is real and it takes a lot of hard work and dedication to move up that ladder and actually land your dream job or create it. Chrissy, I find it so interesting that you were able to grow so much in one place. Can you walk us through your career path at Harper's? Sure. I did two summer internships while I was in college, but I didn't go straight from that into my job at Bazaar. I actually graduated in 2008 when the recession was hitting. So similarly to what like college kids are going to experience now, maybe it's worse now, but you know, I definitely experienced that struggle. Um, there was no jobs. People were getting laid off, especially in magazines. And, you know, knowing that I had these two internships under my belt, I was definitely like, oh, I'm not going to have any problem getting a job like before the economy completely crashed. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy, but it really wasn't. And it was a struggle for like the first a year and a half, honestly. Um, and I'm so fortunate, you know, that I grew up near New York City. So like I lived at home, I just commuted to the city for interviews or if I got any freelance gigs, because I spent the first two years freelancing. So when I started at Bazaar, I came in also as a freelancer. It was only supposed to be like a two month gig. I had worked with the web editor there at a previous job. And so she brought me in and she didn't have any team in place. So she just ended up fighting to keep me there because Mm. she just brought on like an editor, fashion news writer. But other than that, there was no one else there. So I really got to help craft the identity of this site that literally had just been like a dumping ground for the magazine. Like there was very little original content. And even when we started, like we were probably doing like one original story a week. Like this is 2011. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't much going on from a magazine's website standpoint because the refineries, the fashionistas, like that's where everyone went for their fashion. So yeah, that obviously really worked to my advantage because our team was just three people for the first like three and a half years that I was there. So I'm curious, what did you do to make your boss fight for you? Hmm. Well, you know, we had worked together for a year prior to that at InStyle.com. She was the fashion news editor there and then became the senior web editor at Harper's Bazaar. And I think she was just very familiar with my work. We worked really well together. You know, we became very friendly. Like we kept in touch after she had left InStyle. And so... I think she just recognized like she really needed my help. I was someone Mm -hmm. who really had a fashion background. It wasn't even really like a conversation that we had explicitly where I was like, oh, I'd like to stay. She was like, I'm just going to see if I can get this extended. And I was like, okay, great. Um, You know, I was just like along for the ride. And so once that sort of happened... I don't know, because it's funny, like I never went in there thinking that my job would ever expire. And, you know, eight and a half years later, like there I was. So yeah, just, I think over the years as the internet changed, so did my job. You know, when I first started, I was 
really just doing like shopping stories, market work, pulling shopping stories from the magazine, filling them out with more product that was available online, and then kind of moved also into like the fashion news space and then creating event galleries, party galleries. That was, you know, around like 2012, 2013, fashion events were starting to explode. And my boss was kind of like over it already. So like she would give me all the invites and I started going to all the events. And I really credit that with helping me get to where I am in my career Mm. because I was literally going out all the time to, you know, store cocktail parties, black tie galas, like literally everything. You know, I was in my mid twenties. So like any fashion party I got invited to, I was like, of course I'm going to this. Yeah, we went. (laughs) And it's so weird because I feel like today, like the kids actually don't want to do that. I know. (laughs) When I first started, oh my gosh, my first day of work was the first day of fashion week. Yeah. My team pretty small. So not, they can't go to all of the shows. So they sent me to these shows and I was sitting front row week, my first week of work, I was like, who do these people think I am looking around me? Make it till you make it. You got to fake it till you make it. Yeah. And so like, you know, meeting so many new people at events and especially like when you go to dinners and you're sitting next to someone and you're talking and they start telling you some like crazy story or you overhear something, I would be like, wait, do you want to write about that for us? And like, literally that happened to me so many times. And so then eventually like my job also kind of evolved into like finding talent contributors, Mm -hmm. helping, you know, book talent for videos, for features. Um, I was just always someone I think who like really had their pulse on what was cool, who was coming up. Mm -hmm. And so I really helped to shape that for the site. Absolutely. That's amazing. Without a doubt. It also brings me to another point of networking. So as you were saying before, like you were going to all of these events and you were able to network, but now it's, it's a weird space because usually I would tell all of my listeners, you know, email someone or DM someone and ask them to grab coffee. But now that's mm-hmm. not really an option. So I'm curious what advice you would give to people to establish or maintain a relationship in the networking world? Madison? Yeah. I mean, Taylor, I think you, you know the answer to this because you are just such a rock star. It's consistency, right? Like ultimately, I actually feel like sometimes it's harder now for me to keep track of emails and messages because people are always on now, right? Like it's almost like you're so accessible that the, the content and the amount that people are reaching out and the calls and the Zooms, like I am talking to way more people yeah. than I would normally. Like I have clients and we have two me- weekly meetings by Zoom and I'm like, we would not have yeah. two meetings a week in person like this. No. So consistency and reaching out to people is so important right now because it's never been easier to get lost in the mess of things, right? So following up, asking compelling questions. I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn recently and I was like, wow, what an interesting question. She basically asked me a moment of encouragement or or, or like she was trying to pivot in her career and she just wanted to know that because I had pivoted that like she would be okay. It was a very specific question that felt so genuine and earnest. I was like, I responded and I was like, 
you got this girl. Like, thank you for such a thoughtful question. And you're not asking too much of me either. Right. Like that's the other thing is like meet people where they're at and think about the, the ask that you're putting out there. You're asking somebody who's super busy for an hour of their time. You've never met or haven't been introduced. Most likely that person's going to say no. If you email someone, you say, Chrissy, I've been following your career for years and I look up to you. If I could just get five minutes of your time, the likelihood that someone like myself or Chrissy will say, yes, of course, thank you for reaching out is much higher because you're not asking for an hour. But we're both people like we could pick up the phone and it meant to be five minutes, but you're really dope and we're enjoying the conversation. All of a sudden it is an hour, right? So those are that's like just the tangible quick advice I would give yeah and that brings me to another point of and I'm sure Chrissy your inbox is exploding from PR people and some of their emails are not really sensitive to the situation like now when I'm getting PR emails they are just very straight to the point as if we were pre-COVID um and my mom, I was, this is just going to drop a bomb, but it's all is good now. My mom, unfortunately, had COVID and it, she's all better now. But just coming from that space of like, this is so sensitive to me, or at least it was, and receiving mm. those emails during that time, mm-hmm. I was like, this is not really appropriate because right, you right. know what anyone is going through. Going through. Yeah. So Chrissy, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know... I think in general, and this is like from PR people to influencers and everyone like sort of in the public space or like interacting with people, um, not to like give them an excuse, but I honestly think that a lot of people actually don't possess the like sensitivity or the compassion to actually understand how to navigate a situation mm. in a way that's not offensive. Like I actually think some people don't understand. Don't know how. Mm. Yeah. So... Hmm. You know, but then there are, I think there are some people who are just being like so outwardly outrageous and like offensive. (laughs) Like there's clearly something wrong with you. That's why I actually think it's really important to give people feedback. Feedback. Yes. Yes. Because it's helpful at the end of the day. Like, you know, there's many times where like, you know, obviously this isn't the same thing, but like brands who have sent invites to panels where all the speakers have been white, I Mm -hmm. immediately write them back and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I will never attend a panel that only has white speakers. Mm -hmm. Especially if the topic is like women, I'm like, come on. Come on. I'm like, yeah, the diverse perspectives here. Like I can't do that. So there's many times where I will just straight call people out. I'm like, this is Mm -hmm. not okay. And I'm, I'm with you. I was about to say, I think feedback is so important. And it's crazy just because a lot of these PR people are sending mass emails and then just like replacing mm-hmm. your name. So sometimes it's hard to kind of add that personal touch. That actually reminds me in 2016, I got Zika virus and some PR agency sent out an email. It was supposed to be a joke of this crazy, like full body Zika suit that you could wear. And I was like, I was literally on my deathbed for several weeks ill with this. Like, this is not a joke. No, no. That's like ASOS. I mean, not to throw out any brands, but ASOS got into a lot of trouble because they took this like rhinestone mask that they had that was for festival season 
and they released this newsletter that was like same mask, different different reason to wear it. About this game? It was <laughs> so bad. It was I on like at chills. Yeah, it was on like ad week. Like all of these big publications picked Can't up I this know. newsletter and was like, it was like, don't do this. Like you want to know how not to market your brand? And they use this example from ASOS. And the damage that this has done from that like passive mistake that was probably made from somebody who has to do 9,000 email newsletters a day is ricocheting and it's going to be so detrimental to them. So this is not the time for the copy and paste because the consequences of a mistake right now are make and break. Totally. And and that also brings me to another point of just one-on-one networking, especially Mm -hmm grads or people still in college, what's appropriate to write to people? Mm -hmm. You don't know what anyone's going through. Chrissy, what do you I think like you always kind of have to give the person like an out, like, I hope you're well and, you know, do all that. Hope your family is safe. I have a lot of downtime. I'm trying to connect with people X, Y, Z. But if right now is a bad time for you because it's a bad time for a lot of other people, I totally understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, give the person an out. I think it's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point of giving someone an out. I didn't even think of that because it gives that extra level of empathy, I think. Yes. I was just about to say that. I was like, yeah, but no, but that is the Chrissy's spot on it. I mean, that is the most empathetic and understanding way to reach out to someone. And actually I would feel like if I received an email like that, that had an out, I would probably forward that to my assistant and say like, please make sure we reach back out in X months because that would tell me that that person is hyper and hyper emotionally aware, which in the end means that there there's a level of emotional intelligence there. That's probably worth connecting with. Love emotional intelligence. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Uh, It goes so far. And I think we also have to take into account that everyone's moods and feelings are fluctuating literally on the hour. Like I wake up and I'm like, oh, great. Like I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then like 12 o'clock rolls around and I'm like, actually, I think I'm just going to watch normal people. (laughs) (laughs) By no means do, am I like riding any consistent wave during this time? Like, no, it's, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like literally on the hour, something could just change. Yeah. And that's where I was hitting out with, with, with consistency, right? Like if you don't hear from someone, don't give up. Like you could have honestly just messaged them on a bad hour, right? Yeah. Do not say, I'm a loser. This is over. Put it in the backseat, reach out a couple months later. And that same person who didn't respond might respond with an essay because they're having a great month. You just never know. So just keep consistency. It actually reminds me, Madison, when I first reached out to you, like I at one point thought that you were ghosting me. So I was like, no, I have to be so like on top of my game. And I just kept on following up. And no, but I, <laughs> it, it worked. Cause girl, I was pretending I was, I was head of content and social museum of ice cream. And I had a fake email that was assistant at museum of ice cream. I was managing, I was one person pretending to be like a 10 person team. <laughs> Right? Like I had so much on my plate. It was unfathomable. So things just got lost. And so that's why when you kept emailing me back, I was like, keep emailing me because I promise you, I'm not ignoring you. I just am up to my eyeballs with responsibility. So again, it wasn't personal. Totally. 
That makes me think um, one of the editors that I used to work with at Bazaar, who I hired as an intern, she said she had applied for the internship um, three times. And it was the third time that I responded to her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So never exactly. Also, I think you have to like consider that people like us, we have very active inboxes and like sometimes you just miss emails. No, exactly. Yeah. I feel like before I entered the real world, I didn't realize how hard it would be to kind of adapt to everything um, that mm. came with working. So I, I want to get deep for a sec. I know that working in fashion and media is not as glamorous as it seems mm-hmm. from the in. Did you, nope. did either of you ever experience, you know, a setback, a low point in your career? And, and how did you pick yourself up from that? Oh, definitely. I mean, like Christy and I have shared this and we've talked about this at length. Like it's, it's really even harder when you have big companies that have a lot of public clout to acknowledge sometimes the discomfort and the setbacks because everyone looks at you in these positions and they're like, Oh my God, I would wish I had that. And you're like, I've just been running around making returns all day. Like there's just like, there's yeah. so many highs and lows in media and fashion that are sometimes unfathomable. The only sort of common thread that I think is really powerful, at least in media and film and TV, is that everyone started there, especially in film and TV. Like you don't go from being, yeah. you don't get out of college and then become an executive producer. Like I can promise you every executive producer at any major network start as a production assistant. Like that's that industry. Like if you work at WME and you want to be a big agent, you started in the mailroom. And that is the reality of a lot of these careers is that you have to start extremely low paid, unfortunately, doing really feel, it feels like trivial work at the time to then build yourself up. And it would, I would be lying if I said that didn't impact my sense of like happiness and self. I was deeply insecure doing those jobs because I felt I I kept saying to myself, like, I feel like I have so much more to contribute. And here I am just like getting coffees. But the reality is, is that the days of getting coffees and the days of running around with fashion bags thrown over my shoulder, sweating bullets on the subway have made me a deeply empathetic boss. And I will never have people do those things as a result. So these setbacks at the time, they might feel overwhelming, but in the end, like they're catalysts for great learnings that eventually you'll look back on and be appreciative that you had. At least for me, that's like my personal experience with them. What about you, Chrissy? For sure. I think, I mean, I say this to girls and or everyone all the time, like fashion at the end of the day is a business. So yes, it looks really, it can look really glamorous Mm. from my Instagram because I'm posting like freebies and going on trips. But like that is, you need those things in order to not go crazy and to (laughs) all the bullshit that you actually have to go through. You know, it's like, that's, that's actually the trade-off, you know, I think it takes so long to actually get to that point where you're Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, I'm getting all this stuff and I get to do all these fun things. Like you got to bust your ass for a long bust your ass. Yeah. time mm-hmm. before you get there. And because the industry is so, you know, based on hierarchy, you could also never get there depending on yeah. what the team structure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so true. I feel like a lot of kids today think that like, oh, okay, well I did the internship, but like once I get the job, like it's, it's 
somehow going to be better. Mm-hmm. It never gets easier. Honestly, it doesn't you just get, get more capable, mm-hmm. especially in editorial. Like the team structures just are not what they used to be because the teams are not as robust as they used to be. So like right. even if I had a director title, I didn't have an assistant. I was an intern assistant and <laughs> director. <laughs> yeah. You know, like so true. You're better at the job, mm-hmm. but you're always going to have like an impossible amount of work to do. Piera Gilardi, who was my boss for many years at Refinery29, who, you know, you, you can imagine her to-do list, right? Like your to-do list is never finished. You just get better at accepting that your to-do list is not finished, mm-hmm. right? Like if I can get three things done on my to-do list in that day, you're like, I'm like, that's a win. Oh, Adam. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And my to-do list often, like our week-long to-do list, I stopped doing daily to-do lists because things change, call, and so I have these week-long to-do lists. And sometimes I get one thing crossed off the day, but I can promise you that most of the time, by at least the seven-day mark, most of those things are checked off. It just didn't happen when I thought it would happen and how I thought it would happen, but it eventually happens. So like patience is a huge virtue that like in these careers that you have to sort of comprehend and learn and especially in editorial and Christy has way more experience than I do in editorial but I was at Refiring 29 for three years and you can have a plan and something hits and all of a sudden everything that you were working on out the window scratch you're starting over and it's devastating or like I had videos that I had spent months working on franchises stories multiple episodes that just never went live right (laughs) so you have to just keep moving forward and remember that like it is you're not it's not that personal and I think that's the other hard part about being in fashion media is that you feel that it's personal in many ways but just as Chrissy said like these are businesses right and like you are working in in an industry and so so much of what you might think is personal is just how the industry works and so it's about having a thick skin Mm. and being able to rub things off and just keep going. If something doesn't work out, if something doesn't get published, it doesn't mean you're not a good writer or you're not yeah. capable, right? Just got to keep it moving because yeah. it, like being a creative is to be vulnerable. Like, you know, we're just putting all these ideas out there all the time and we feel like our our ideas are a reflection of us. So mm-hmm. obviously it can, it can feel hurtful if someone's like, no, that's not going to work or like, you know, we can't do that. You do have to just be like, well, that's one idea and got to find another one. And you'll uh, have yep. another one and another one after that. And another point I wanted to make just to all of this is you have to really want to be there mm. to put up with all of this because everyone thinks that these industries like look really glamorous and you're going to be sorely mistaken if you come in thinking that like, oh yeah, working in fashion is going to be me mm-hmm. parties and getting free stuff all the time, you know, as like a college, as a college grad. College like, student. Yeah. Right. 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 You got to yeah. really have to like be passionate and you have to really want it. Yeah. Deeply. And I will say like, like when you get it and when you persevere, like Chrissy and I have had some fun, right? Like there is definitely nights and events and trips that come out of this industry where you're like, holy shit, that was a once in a lifetime experience. I'm never going to be able to go on an all expenses trip paid in freaking Dubai or wherever. Right. And, and 
but it didn't happen in year one of our careers. We didn't graduate from college and then all of a sudden we're on these revolve trips at all. That's just not the trajectory. It might look like that on Instagram, but it was years of getting coffees and living at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it took so much time to get there. But the objective at the end of the day is that you, exactly as Chrissy said, you have to love it or at least be passionate about it. So that in the end, when you do experience the reward, when you do see your work get published and you do get the emails and the messages from other women who've read and seen what you've done. And if like, I can promise you that if you hold on and you love it that much, those messages, that feeling of seeing your work getting published is worth every second. If you love it, if you love it, it'll hit you and feel as exciting as it does for me when that happens. Yeah, because it's more rewarding when, when you are super passionate about something. And I love how you both said, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And I feel like that's maybe a misconception that some people think when they enter the world, the real world, but you know, you have to hustle. And this brings me to another point, you know, after you hustle and, and you show ounces of resilience, can you guys recall a high point in your career that made the hustle worth it? Mass, want to go first? I mean, winning a Webby as a one-person team as be- and beating out like the Netflixes and MoMAs of the world and them, them saying, you know, Museum of Ice Cream and thinking it was a five to 10 person social media team and it was me by myself working 20 hours a day was and will always be a career highlight. It, it, it is an immense honor. I have my Webbies on my bookshelf and like I never, ever, ever lose sight or forget that feeling. But you know, my dad is an athlete and every year you fight for your nas- the national championship. So I don't actually believe in that it was an opportunity or the experience of a lifetime. I think that's so reductive. Yeah. I don't want to be my age and have that be like the highlight and the like, mo- no, that is not the, I want to be like this. I don't want to go like this. So I say that and that like every year I have another amazing career highlight and it looks different every year and it takes different forms, but I refuse to let where I am right now in my life be like the catalyst and highlight of my career. It's just taking time to look at things differently. Like I didn't win the Webby Award this year, but I have an agency now. And Taylor, you fucking work for me. We are a team. And I have five other women that I get to work with every fucking day. Like that's an amazing win. That to me is greater than the Webby Award. That feels like such an accomplishment. And I can't wait till we all together win more Webby Awards, you know? So it's a, it's a growing, it's every year. Every year there's more wins. Yeah, I was going to say, it's more of a yearly thing because, I don't know, there's, like, so much that happens, especially, like, when when you're a content creator, like, so much happens in a month, three months, a year, so, yeah, there's definitely not, like, one major point in my career, like, my time at Bazaar, even that I was like, oh, that was the one moment, Mm -hmm. like, had from trips and like going on TV for Bizarre and events that we had and social content that I created and celebrities that I booked or like had right for us. Like all of those things really come together to make up my favorite memories from my time there. Yeah. When I, my dad dropped me off at college, he, before he drove off, he looked at me and he said, promise me you won't let this be the best four years of your life. 
And I remember I was like, fuck you, dad. I obviously did not say that to my father. No, no way. But in my head, I was like, what kind of send off is this? Like, because you go to you before you get to college everyone's like for the best four years of your life you don't want these you have a long hopefully god willing you all everyone has a long life to live and you do not want the best four years of your life to only be when you're 18 to 21 what if you lived in 95 years old what are you gonna be miserable the rest of your life so it's about taking it year for year Yeah, exactly. So it's year for year, it's moment for moment, and just to try to see the wins as they come and just be thankful for them as they come. 100%. Totally. totally. I, first of all, this conversation has been so amazing. I know that we've been offering career advice throughout this entire episode, but I would love to close the panel with one last piece of advice that you would like to offer my listeners. Chris, you want to go first? I don't want to like bite off what what you guys were talking about in the beginning, but I do think that there's been so many examples in my life where I realized that things really do happen for a reason and Mm -hmm. nothing happens before it's time. And like, even if you sort of fall off your intended path and do something else like that may still lead you to where, you know, you're meant to go. Like when I think about being young and wanting to work in fashion. Like I always thought like, I wanted to be the person that like picked the clothes that went to the magazines. Like I knew I wanted to work in magazines. I wanted to be an editor and I stayed very focused on that. But in reality, like my career ended up being so much more incredible than I could have ever imagined. Like I like to say I manifested it before I even really understood what manifesting is. Like I think you have to have that ideal dream, but you also have to give it enough space to know that it actually might manifest itself in a way that you actually didn't imagine. Hmm. I love that. And I agree with you because I was a magazine journalism major at Newhouse at Syracuse University. And there's a very clear path, as you were saying, you know, you go from editorial assistant to assistant editor, and then you work Mm -hmm. your way up. But now, you know, to give yourself that space to know that your career might not go like this exactly, Mm -hmm. you might, you know, dip your feet in another industry, or you might get a different position than, than what you had originally thought. I think it's really important to just kind of as we were saying before, like leaning into uh, the path that you're on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Chrissy with her wisdom as usual. Ah. The only thing I would add is that just like really, if you can listen to your gut and your instinct, every time I was ready to leave someplace, I knew I had a feeling in my gut that was telling me it was time. It was just a matter of whether or not I was going to listen to it. So don't get distracted by like the fancy name of where you work or the boss listen to how you internally feel and really put your happiness first. I can promise you, you let yourself stay in a place that's miserable. Once all of a sudden the things that were bringing you joy, seeing your name get published, once that stops bringing you joy, then you got to go. You got to go. It's time to find something else and pivot and that you're never like too old or too young to make a change, you know, at all. At all. You just really need to trust your gut and follow that instinct. And I promise you, if you do, it'll pay off. I actually think the universe punishes people that, do, that don't listen to their gut. I really do. Say you should really leave a job and you don't. I think the universe is going to force you out of the situation. Yes, yes. It's going to make it so painful for you that like you literally have no other choice. Yes. Not I would not agree more. Or anything. 
Yeah. And it, and it sometimes is hard to take a step back and kind of notice those things. But now during this time, I think, I mean, I would encourage all my listeners to kind of reevaluate the space mm-hmm. that they're in and view your current situation as an opportunity, a surprise, a new opportunity, even if it may look a bit different than you had originally planned. Before we head out, I always like to end with a gaze goal of the week, which is a realistic self-care goal for the upcoming week. Hmm. My episodes are released on Sundays, and I know that we're in quarantine, so sometimes the days seem to mesh together, but I love starting the week off on a positive note, and I feel like setting a realistic self-care goal is super motivational, but also attainable. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious what your gaze goal is. I need to fucking sleep. That's my goal. I sleep, get get eight hours of sleep, at least three nights for next week is my self-care goal. A hundred percent. Love that. What about you, Chrissy? Um, Mine is definitely to start journaling daily because I've, I mean, I've been journaling like literally since I was in third grade, but since I moved, like my journals are still packed away in a box and I haven't been intentional about pulling them out. And so I need it actually like next to my bed to remind me. So that's my goal. I'm like, I need to get my notebooks out and then I need to do some daily journaling because I don't normally do it that often. But I also think like right now is a really important time to be like Mm -hmm. recording how we feel and whatnot. Because first of all, like I think we're going to want to look back at this years later to be like, holy shit, I literally went through this. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure 10, 20 years from now, it's going to feel like a distant memory. Chrissy, well, you were the one who influenced me to buy the five-minute journal. Yes. I, I need that one. I really do. The five-minute journal, at least from what I like about it, is that it's really accessible. I have two journals. I do have like a long-form morning journal right. that I actually write in. But I agree with you, Chrissy. I fall off that one all the time. The five-minute journal feels like even in the days when I'm running out of the house and it's busy, I can really, it it doesn't actually take five minutes. It it can take two, three minutes, less (laughs) even, depending on how fast you want to be. But I started at the top of mine, I just wrote Corona Diaries for every day so I can just go back eventually and like... Yeah. So I, I don't know that the moral of the story, is that especially if someone like is looking to have like a gratitude practice, which I never really had because it is much more about being present. What are you excited for like today? Or what are you grateful for? What's something you hope to achieve or like what could make the day better? Those are the prompts. Yeah. You know what? You inspired me. My goal this week is to find a gratitude journal online and purchase it. There you go. Because, yeah, I love that. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank I, you, Taylor. I feel so inspired right now. Like, I'm just so happy that I was able to connect with you both at the same time. It's fun. It's so fun. Also, it's, it's just friends getting together. This to me is an easy one. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. If you want to meet Madison and Chrissy URL, you already know what to do. Go head over to at on Instagram and hit up that IGTV. Let me know in the comments what your favorite part of this non-BS career advice segment was. Make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review. And if you want to, 
go ahead and follow me at Taylor Bradford for a behind behind the scenes look at my life and this podcast. I am so excited for everything that we have in store for season two. And now that I have the time to, you know, publish these podcasts weekly, there is so much in store. You don't even know. I'm smiling ear to ear because I'm just pumped. All right. I'll see you guys next Sunday. Bye.